and yet, uh, you know, it's one thing for the pastor to be house in the house. It's a lot better when Jesus is in the house. And Jesus is in the house because you're in the house. I was a... Uh, whirlwind trip that uh, hit five countries in 18 days. And I'll be honest with you, when I left, I really didn't know what to expect. And so uh, I just went with uh, an open heart and a, as open as mind as this Dutch boy could have. And uh, the Lord helped me keep it open along the way because you experience things that you really want to close off to really quick. And so I thought it'd be good if I just do a bit of a recap this morning. Is that okay? Okay. So my, my lens, wherever I go, always is done through igniting change. What is God doing through people? And what I found in going to all these different places with Newman International Academy is that God is doing something profound through marketplace ministry and marketplace miracles. I experienced uh, more stories than I have time to even tell that are really against the odds kind of stories where God shows up and uh, shows himself to be uh, faithful and allows people to accomplish things that they you know, really never ever imagined that they could. And th these things were not done in some sort of sensational way on some sort of platform with a microphone. It was done by everyday people uh, in their everyday lives because they understood that they had an assignment and they took advantage of opportunities that were before them. And I think that's really big for us when it comes to igniting change. Each of us should know what our assignment is for the Lord and then be able to identify opportunities that he places before us. And when that happens, you really see God move in a real powerful ways. Over the next couple of weeks, I want to, the Lord talked to me about some just minor shifts with Bethel to help us uh, better ignite change on a weekly basis. I love the fact that uh, uh, in Suen's talk, he talked about uh, relational uh, ministry revival. I do believe that is something that God is going to do powerfully uh, through each of us. Um, and um, so what I did is, I, you know, I'm not, uh, I'm not a photographer guy. I'm not real creative in that. But I, I, in each one of the areas, the three of the four places that uh, we went, I, I created a video. So I want to just show you a video and then talk a little bit about what you're seeing um, on and through the video. So let's look at the first one as we landed in India on Sunday, May 7th. Let's get the right video, guys. Thank you.
In the middle of that video, there's a picture of Dr. Prima Mengai, who's 80 years old and is the older sister of Dr. Sheba George. And she's the, uh, uh, the person who's over that particular school that is 70 years old. And she has had offers from some of the most prestigious universities in India to come and uh, be their president, but refuses to do it because she understands that her assignment is to reach children with the gospel message through the school. Those kids that you were watching predominantly are not Christian, they're Hindu. And the parents that were there were predominantly Hindu. There was a couple Muslims, uh, and yet they are learning uh, through the Bible, and they are learning through Christian songs what it means to be a Christian. But she had to make a choice, and this, this was just one of many that, that people make in India to say no to something significant in order to say yes to the assignment that God has for them. And she takes advantage of the opportunities that are put before her. So for me in India, what I found is that time and time again, there were people who were willing to give up everything. In fact, Jesus said in Luke chapter 14, he said, so therefore, any of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Salt is good, but when salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is of no use either for the soil or for the manure pile. It is thrown away. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear. The fact that, that by the way, those, that song, Pray for India, was done by those little kids who were waving the flags. That song stayed in my heart for 18 days. We don't understand the incredible influence and the power of Hinduism over a culture that has worshipped idols daily for generations. To have children be, have an opportunity to be able to 
be at a place where they are learning God's word, where they are able to learn that there is a God that is not an idol, but is alive and active in the world. And that's done because of one woman's dedication to this little school in the middle of a city of 1.2 million people. It is illegal for her to hand out Bibles. So what she does is she gets up every morning and at 8.30 she is out in her office and she is typing the Bible for curriculum for the students. Now, why they don't have a computer and a printer, I don't know. I think that needs to change. But since she doesn't have it, she takes advantage of the opportunity by doing it by hand. Now, when we were there in May, by the way, uh, the majority of the students are gone because the, the month of May is their summer. We went during the hottest part of the year. The kids that were there on the videos, they, they're, they're basically the poorest. Uh, they probably are not paying to go to the school. They're being sponsored by someone or just given the opportunity to receive the education. And then they went out and they rented those incredible outfits for them to be able to do their presentations for us while we were there. So it was an incredibly beautiful thing. But Prima really taking that, uh, taking on her assignment wholeheartedly was a beautiful thing. I met a young lady by the name of uh, Priyanka, who um, when I met her was there, she's married and has two kids, but that didn't just happen. It happened because she went to Newman School there in India, and she started learning about Christ as a teenager. And she, while being in a Hindu family, decided to forsake Hinduism for the cause of Jesus Christ. When she went home and told her parents that she had chosen to follow Jesus Christ, they beat her. And then they starved her. And she would go to school, and that's where she would find encouragement, and she would get discipled during lunchtime, and she would receive food. Her parents took her to a psychologist because, of course, not wanting to be a Hindu, she was clinically insane. And so she called Prima and said, what do I do as I go to the psychologist? And Prima, she goes, I didn't know what to say immediately, but I prayed and the Lord said to just say to her not to take any medication. And so she goes to the psychologist and the psychologist asked her a series of questions and, and sends her away and calls in her parents and says to her parents that, uh, you know, she actually is not crazy, but if you highly restrict her, she'll eventually come back to Hinduism. And so they made her life that much more difficult, but still sent her to school. And after a couple of weeks, took her back to the psychologist. And when she went into the psychologist's room after the first time explaining the gospel to him and telling him why she was so committed to Christ, she went in the second time and he closed the door and she, he thanked her profusely for telling him about Jesus Christ. So much so that he went home and he told his wife about Jesus. And he went out and told her parents that really there's no reason to restrict her. She's perfectly normal. And something seems to be happening in her life. But that wasn't the only problem that she faced. Because this is India. And unlike America where you can attempt to live some Hollywood fantasy looking at some woman or man and falling in love and choosing to marry them, it doesn't work that way in India. In India, your marriages are arranged. And she wanted to be arranged, be arranged to somebody in her caste system that was a Christian. Very difficult thing. Her and 
Prima prayed every day over the next couple of years that her parents would choose to give her to a Christian man. During that time, she, as she would go home or she would go to her parents' office, she was uh, commonly frustrated at the sage that would come by and pronounce the Hindu blessings over her home and over the offices. And, and she, she felt upset inside and didn't know how to respond or what to do. So again, she asked Prima what to do, and Prima said, you just need to go into every room, and you need, to, you need to pronounce the presence of Jesus in that room, and you need to do that daily. And so she would go in her bedroom, she would go in the living room, she would go in the bathroom, she would go in the offices. But she forgot one room. And when she came home, one of her parents' co-workers wanted to commit suicide and could not commit suicide anywhere in their house or anywhere in their offices except the one place that she did not pronounce the Lord's presence in, which was the copy room, and he killed himself next to the Xerox machine. But she understand the power of pronouncing the presence of Jesus over their house and their office, of which she did daily for two years. It so softened her father's heart that he said, it is okay that we find a Christian husband for you to marry. They found a Christian husband for her to marry. And while her her dad is still a trustee at one of the largest Hindu temples in Kwamador, he gave her away at a Christian wedding. Because one person in the marketplace knew their assignment and took advantage of opportunities that were before them. We, you'll also notice that we took a picture of a guy that had white smeared all over his forehead. He's, he's Sheba George's uncle, even though he's not a blood uncle. He was, uh, worked very closely with her mother in the starting of Newman schools and uh, in particular the college that we had went to. Uh, he took them over and now is uh, an incredibly wealthy man Uh, He has uh, 35,000 students in 14 colleges um, across uh, India. Uh, Actually, you can look him up. He is, uh, he's very well known, highly, highly celebrated. And he invited us to, to go and meet with him in his office. His office is a place, it's the first place that we had to take the shoes off because when you're going on to holy ground in the Hinduism, you don't wear shoes. You take, so we took our shoes off and we walk into his office. His office was roughly 30 by 30. And as I looked around this office, and I am not exaggerating in the slightest, it was wall-to-wall idols. He even had a full-size mannequin of his wife who had passed away, because since she's going to be reincarnated in Hinduism, he can begin to worship her. He sat at this end of this conference uh, conference table, and, and some of us sat on this side, and some others sat on that side, and, and then there was his personal sage that sat on this end. Now, Sheba had told us before we went that certainly the sage had done a pronouncement over him so Jesus wouldn't get on him while we were there. Uh, but we asked if we could pray for him, and uh, he said, no, but you're more than welcome to pray for the uh, students, and I want you to pray for the students. Because people in India are highly religious. Uh, they, want, they want blessings any way they can get them. 
And what was interesting is that the, I've, I've never been in the presence of a, of a person that, uh, first of all, you know, he just clicks a button and servants run in to take care of him. Uh, but even the, the uh, he was the, I wrote it down because I want to make sure I got it right. He's, he was the, uh, the chief inspector of police over eight provinces. When he walked in the room and met this man at the conference table, his body language changed to fear. The man, to, to tell you the immense power that this man holds over people's life uh, cannot, be, uh, cannot be minimized. Uh, when, you, when we drove on to the college, there were three Hindu temples that he built that were millions of dollars, each of them. And so to have his, his own personal sage had everything to do with the money. But Sheba understood her assignment and saw an opportunity. In the conversation that he was having with her, he basically, he, he basically said to her, whatever she wanted up to the half kingdom, he'd give it to her. He said he'd be willing to fund as many schools as she wanted to start. Everybody that comes into his presence wants something from him. But because Sheba understood her assignment and the opportunity that was before it, I, I kind of chuckled inside because she had four literally cheap blankets that she had as a gift to him because she wanted to express her love for who he is and wanted nothing in return. So powerful was the impact of those small little, what seemed like meaningless gifts to him. He allowed us to surround him and pray for him. What was interesting was, uh, was to watch his sage at the other end of the table, who kept a very calm demeanor, but in the eyes were such vitriol that we would do such a thing over his life. He then hit his clicker, and his own personal lady servant came, and he instructed her to take us to his palace so that we could pray over his entire palace. Yeah, it was quite a prayer meeting. When you walk into the palace right off to the right is his household gods. He has a whole room dedicated to Hindu worship. His TV, which he has a 60-inch TV with an incredibly nice cabinet around it. And, and, and I've got to think that there were no less than a hundred, if not hundreds, of idols that were all around his television. So we just began to pray in tongues. We began to speak over, we went up to his bedroom, we began, to, we, began, we began to take away the power and the authority that the enemy had over the sage of the picture that he had over his bed. We were able to go into his, his children's rooms and we were able to, to, to pray that there would be a, a reconciliation between him and his kids. He's kind of one of the, the sources of stress in his life. And we're gonna, we believe that there's going to be a moment where he is willing to forsake everything for Jesus Christ. But it's because, in part, Sheba understood her assignment and took advantage of an opportunity. So we spent a week in, in uh, India, and then we, we went from India where we, we spent uh, two days in Singapore and one of those days in Mal Malaysia. And so I just want to show you a quick video there.
So what we found in Singapore uh, really was God's plan coming together. In John chapter 4, you have this moment that Jesus has at the well. I just want to just read the scripture, verse 6 and 7. It says, Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. I want you to get that. He was tired. He was just tired. So he sits by a well. And it was about the sixth hour, and a woman from Samaria came to draw water. There was a moment that Jesus had so that a plan could come together. So in Singapore, Newman School is actually not open yet. Singapore, incredibly wealthy city, uh, very expensive. And the, the school in Newman, the young lady I had the picture of her next to some uniforms, uh, rebellious teenage years, comes to Christ, renounces Hinduism, and uh, they have an incredible church there in Singapore, but she's she's called to go to the the equivalent of Section Eight housing in Singapore. By the way, is nicer than anything we've got uh, to be able to be able to bring a school to kids that because their parents are not Singaporean uh, have a hard time getting into a good school, uh, wanting to start a school. But uh, the process has been held up in the government office, which normally only takes two weeks, has been three months. And so they've been paying, paying rent on a facility for a school with no students. And so as part of our team was uh, uh, Tommy, who actually was part of Bethel in his teenage years, a lawyer for, for Newman. He was with us and, and Lazarus. And when we went to Malaysia, they stayed behind with the assignment of getting into the government offices and uh, getting the, the whole process flowing again. The challenge that they have is everything that they read said that there is absolutely no way you can meet with someone at the, the office. The whole process has to be done by email. And so at 7.30 in the morning, they, they went to the government offices and they went inside, they asked questions, and they basically got kicked out. And they, they, they waited and they, they tried to, you know, talk to some people. Nobody was, you know, from that office. And, and as the day wore on, it's got after one o'clock and they, they kind of felt like, well, we gave it our best shot. And then all of a sudden, Lazarus gets sick to his stomach. And he says, I was rather embarrassed because I had to go to the bathroom. Okay. If you've ever been this kind of sick in your stomach, you know, you don't go to the bathroom quickly. Right. And so he spends a while in the bathroom, comes out after two. And a guy walks out, and they walk up and talk to him and come to find out he's from the department they need. And so they told him what the challenge was, and he said, yeah, yeah, we'll look into it, and walks away. And after getting over their, their brief disappointment, a lady walked out. And they walked up and started talking to the lady, and the lady was the director of education for all of Singapore. And there was an immediate connection. The picture that was on there is not only them and her, but the guy who brushed him off. Because being his boss, she forced him to do the work necessary to find out what the problem was in getting this through. Because Singapore is a very secular country. They certainly don't want a Christian school, and that's what that would be. Now, that may not seem like a very big miracle to you, but I want to tell you something. That was orchestrated in that moment, as much as when Jesus met the woman at the well. If Lazarus had not gotten sick, they would have left. But because he had to spend some extra time in the bathroom, 
they had an incredible God appointment. And so for us, we had a three-hour drive to, to Malaysia, and we, we, we met with a lot of people, pictures of the one school that wants to, wants to team with uh, Newman International Academy so that the Asian students that they're re reaching in Malaysia have an opportunity to uh, have a credentialing process that will allow them to go to an American uh, university. Godly woman that uh, started schools for uh, her, started homeschooling her daughters and ended up having a school of order, over 80 students. And, uh, and just loves Jesus and is doing what she can. But as we found is common in, in the communist areas, the, the discouragement is quite high. So anybody who will come and pray that the Holy Spirit will encourage them and help them and strengthen them along the way is very much uh, desired. So we, we did that. Her daughter is getting ready to take over the schools. It looks like she's going to come uh, to the Dallas-Fort Worth area and spend some time with the uh, with the Newman staff to learn how they do the particular things. Uh, and then we also went to a couple, couple of uh, families that have said no to Hinduism and under a certain level of persecution. Even the fact of the, the guy that was driving our van for three hours up and my job going back is we didn't get out, uh, leave Malaysia until uh, the place of Malika that we were in, uh, until nine o'clock at night. My job was to keep him awake. And every now and then when he was slowing down and starting to go into other lanes, I would just say, how are you doing? And it would wake him up. But so the impact that our conversations in the van had on him, that when he dropped us off at 11 o'clock at night, he said, would you please come to my place of business and pray with me? And so we loaded, not everybody, a number of us loaded back up in the van at 11 o'clock at night. We went to his place and, and just prayed that he would be able to experience the blessings of the, the God that he heard about three hours going into Malaysia and three hours coming out of Malaysia. And so it was a little bit different assignment. Then we went from there, because I got to bed at, I don't know, one o'clock that night, and we were on a plane the next morning going to Vietnam. And I just want to show a short video on Vietnam.
the cradle in your hand to rock the world. Và có thể nói rằng khi con cái của bà Jenum dựng phần trong tương lai. So what I took away from Vietnam, simply changing the course of tomorrow. Luke 18 says this, Now they were bringing even infants to him, that he might touch them. And when the disciples saw it, they rebuked them. But Jesus called to them to him, saying, Let the children come to me, and do not hinder them, for such belong, belongs the kingdom of God. I want to tell three stories from, from Vietnam. The first is the testimony of Dr. Dan Dang, who on the big photo was the Oriental guy sitting on the left. When he was 13 years old, he, uh, his family fled North Vietnam to Saigon by boat. And at age 14, they went from, uh, from Saigon to America by boat. And as they were in the boat, they were on their 15th day and had run out of food. And the leader of that boat said to them, they have to decide who they were going to eat to survive. And as Dan was telling us this story, he just began to, to tear up as he said, I looked toward heaven as a 14-year-old boy, and I said, God, don't make me eat my parents. And he said, Amen. And the course of his tomorrow changed because when he was done saying amen, they heard a horn of a, of a ship, an American ship. And they were rescued. And he has dedicated his life to those students through Reach International in Vietnam. There were two schools currently. One is four years old. The second one that we were at is one year old. The young man on the stage is the first graduate school in Vietnam. Next year, there's going to be 18 students coming to Texas to graduate. When the, when the kids come to school, they don't know English. I want to catch you to catch what you just watched. They don't know English, so they learn English. And yet they're, as is common in what they say is a secular nation, it's predominantly Buddhist, uh, they, their families are not followers of Jesus. Dave Reavers has done an incredible job over the years with Vietnam that he's been able to say that the schools will, uh, and God approved, that the schools can teach out of the King James Bible to teach English. So they have a King James culture. And they combine that with songs and teaching the students instruments. The songs as you heard, just happened to all be about Jesus. And so the last event that was over 500 people is filled with people who are not followers of Jesus. But Dan Dang knows his assignment and has taken advantage of the opportunity. They're going to open two more schools. One of the pictures had my head close to a young man that I was talking to that will be coming here next year to graduate, and his desire, his heart's desire is to be a worship leader. But he goes to a home who will not allow him to go to a church, who will not allow him to be involved in any Christian activities. But he can go to a school with a King James culture. The other was the girl that I zoomed in on who was receiving an award from the teacher. 
That girl came to Newman School, knew no English. When they tested her, they found that her education level was at a preschool level. She was getting an award because while it doesn't carry the same value as it does here in Texas, they give the students the star testing. And she had just passed the third grade star testing in English and in math. You ready for the miracle? She started school eight months ago. Because of people who know their assignment and take care of opportunities, there are children who are having their tomorrows totally changed. I was talking with Dave Reaver. I had a hard time explaining it when we, when we went on the first school. We went from the airport to the first school. It wasn't because I was tired. It wasn't because I, I looked at poverty-stricken kids that, that had a bloated belly and a fly on their face. But when I stepped on the property... I want to start to weep. I didn't understand it. I'm like, what is this? And I talked to one or two of our teammates about it. Just was a, it was an interesting spirit movement in me. But on the last night when we were at that larger event, I had a chance to talk to Dave Reaver, and he said, you know, I've never told anybody this, but when I went to that property to purchase it, he said, when I stepped on it, I began to weep. He says, now that tells me one of two things, that I'm not weird or that we're both weird. (laughs) But I love the fact that they're willing to invest into these children. And I could go on about the teachers that are giving up. One's a SAGU graduate that has gone over there and is learning Vietnamese. And I mean, story after story after story. But because of marketplace ministry, you end up seeing marketplace miracles that are transforming and changing the destiny of the lives of children. One of the things I I don't kind of finish up here, but one of the things that I, I love to do is I always love to tell stories about the people around my life that are igniting change. So I, I talking with Dave Reaver, who if you've not heard of Dave Reaver, I encourage you to go to DaveReaverMinistries.org and just hear his story. He had 60% of his flesh blown off in Vietnam, and, and God has used that for him to be able to speak to not just veterans throughout the years, but also uh, now doing what he's doing through Reach International. And, uh, and so I, I started talking. I said, have you been to the to the Vietnam um, Veterans War Memorial in uh, Dallas. He goes, no, I have it. I said, let me tell you about a guy in our church that ignites change there. And so I told him about Tommy Acosta. And this is what he recorded for Tommy. Hey, Tommy Acosta, I'm Dave Reaver in Vietnam. I just found out about you, buddy. You're in trouble. I want to get to know you. I can't wait to have a chance to share our hearts together. I love you, sir. Keep up the good work. Yeah. So, so we're gonna. I'm I'm working with uh, Dave Reaver's son Matt, who's taking over uh, his ministry for him, and uh, we're going to work out where he's going to come. Uh, to the wall in Dallas, and uh, uh, I think we can just have a neat event there where veterans are ministered to and uh, and lives encouraged through uh, not just what Tommy's doing, but having Dave Reaver be there as well. So it's really exciting. We went from Vietnam to Israel. Don't have time for that today. I will tell you this, that 
we didn't go to any of the normal sites because we were connected with an archaeologist who took us to some very unique sites. And one uh, profound moment that I had on our second day, and I'm going to leave you with this, is that uh, he took us to the valley where David fought Goliath. And he kind of just talked us through it. And, and the brook, they don't know where, and I wouldn't even begin to say it was where David was at, but the brook where David grabbed the five stones. And so Lazarus and I, Sheba's husband, was, this was common, we broke away from the group. And we just started just kind of walking up the thing. And I, and I bent over and I picked up five stones. And I was getting ready to go back to the group. And I just looked at the five stones. And, and the Lord just spoke to me in a very interesting way. He said, I want you to look at those stones. He says, there's one stone of distinction. And then that's all he said. (laughs) And it took a while because I went, okay, Lord, what are you doing with that? And that's what I want to talk to you about next week. I want to talk to you about one stone of distinction that really will help you ignite change as you go on a Monday into the marketplace and you minister and you begin to see miracles. And so Jesus... We thank you. We thank you that you are alive and active in DFW and in Vietnam and around the world. And Lord, I thank you for choosing us and allowing us to be part of your plan and purposes for today. I pray that you will uh, encourage us to look for the opportunities, knowing that you have an assignment for each and every one of us in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen. Hey, thank you again for joining us. We hope that our time together has been a blessing to you. And it doesn't have to end there. If you want to find last week's sermon, you can go to Facebook, YouTube, or you can listen to us on the audio podcast. You can let us know if you'd like to be further connected in a life group. But let me go ahead and pray as we close and say, God, thank you for being with us, Lord God. Thank you for helping us to carry your words, Lord God, and change our lives, Lord. Help us to carry your love to those around us. And we thank you for what you are doing. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you and thank you for being a part. We hope to see you soon.